We're approaching the end of the year, tomorrow being the New Year's Eve here in the United States. And my talk tonight, again, I think will um, be season-appropriate. I'd like to talk tonight about forgiveness. Most religions emphasize the importance of forgiveness on our spiritual path, on our path of wisdom and compassion. The Jewish high holidays of Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, the most important holidays in the Jewish religion, have a great emphasis on reviewing the past year. It's um, like the Jewish New Year and asking and offering forgiveness for unwholesome deeds and transgressions. An example in Christianity of how important forgiveness is, is in the reported last words of Jesus. When he was dying, reportedly he said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. Talking about forgiving people who were killing him. That's pretty important. The Buddha on the same theme, in a rather um, detailed example, says, Monks, even if bandits brutally severed limb from limb with a two-handled saw, he who entertained hate in his heart on that account would not be one who carried out my teaching. That's probably about the the most gruesome thing that could be done to a person. Um, so the Buddha set the, the, the bar pretty high for us as far as uh, not harboring hate and resentment in our hearts. I was recently reading um, a science study on peace of mind done at the sociology department at Duke University And they were looking at factors that contributed to emotional and mental stability, peace of mind. And the first two listed were, the first one is an absence of resentment. So nursing a grudge was considered a major factor in being unhappy and unhappiness. The second one leading to mental happiness and stability is not living in the past. An unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures was found to lead to depression. Both of these two main factors have to do with forgiveness, letting go of the past, freeing ourselves of resentment and um, hatred towards others. That said, it's not uncommon in practice that we will find um, resentment, anger, hatred, past hurts arising in our practice. It's quite common, as a matter of fact. What are we to do about this? How can we work with this? So tonight I want to talk about... um, Resentment and letting go of resentment or forgiveness.
We find that nursing resentment in our hearts and minds perpetuates our suffering and perpetuates the suffering in this world. Forgiveness is a movement towards peace, peace within and peace without. I was reading um, part of one of Sharon Salzberg's books, which had a little part on forgiveness, and she was talking about um, Maha Gosananda, who um, died not that long ago, but widely recognized as the um, spiritual leader of the Cambodians, the Buddhists in Cambodia and out of Cambodia. And after the um, Holocaust in Cambodia, back in the 70s, Mahagosananda went to the refugee camps on the border of the refugee camps in Thailand. And in each one, he would establish Buddhist temples to nourish the people, the refugees. And he was always reminding the refugees of these words from the Dhammapada, well-known words of the Buddha, Hatred does not cease by hatred in this world. By love alone does it end. When he went to a conference in 1996, he was asked a lot of questions about you know, his work in the refugee camps and what he had done. And to each question, he would reply, I was making peace with myself. I was making peace with myself. When you make peace with yourself, you make peace with the world. Directing the people in the refugee camps towards peace, making peace with themselves, making peace with the world after a horrific, horrific time in their country. That's setting the bar high again. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is the practice of letting go of resentment and judgment in our hearts. Forgiveness is freeing ourselves from a contracted heart of resentment or hatred. Sometimes we experience this hatred in our practice or this resentment in our practice as self-judgment an inability to forgive ourselves for our humanness, perhaps an expectation of perfection from ourselves and then judgment when we fall short. Or we may experience this resentment and anger as more outward-directed, anger at others or judgment of others or a rehashing of past wrongs. Forgiveness is a willingness to open to life just as it is with all of its imperfections. I heard somewhere that someone said, forgiveness is giving up hoping for a better past. Forgiveness is freely given. It expects nothing. It's open-hearted. It's ultimately meant to liberate our own hearts and minds. 
It does have the additional benefit, however, in that it will likely affect how we relate to the person that has done wrong. Archbishop Archbishop Desmond Tutu of the South Africa um, Truth and Reconciliation Commissions said that to forgive is not just altruistic, it is the best form of self-interest. He says that when we forgive, we're no longer chained to the perpetrator. We're free to move on and to perhaps even help the perpetrator become a better person. We also see that talking about forgiveness is related to the freedom of our hearts, freedom from ill will, one of the three roots of suffering in the Buddha's teachings. Forgiveness allows us to let go of the entangling stories of our minds. It's like clearing our heart and mind so that we can uh, develop wisdom based on insight. Now, some of you may not be experiencing a whole lot of resentment or getting ensnared in such stories. There are periods of practice when the mind is calm, relatively free of hindrances. And if that's the case, you don't need to feel like you're missing something or you have to dredge up um, stories to to work with. In our talks here, we offer uh, a variety of subjects and suggestions Some of them may relate to your practice at the moment, and some of them may not be um, so important in your practice at the moment. So wisdom's knowing which talks are talking to you and which talks um, uh, you can listen to but may not perhaps be directly um, involved in your practice at the moment. We often talk about the struggles and difficulties It doesn't mean that there aren't calm and happy periods of practice and that um, you should worry if you're in one. (laughs) So how do we come to forgiveness? It sounds like a good idea. We can all agree. But how do we let go of resentment? How do we release ourselves from past hurts? Sometimes as we meditate, we find that these unhealed places in our hearts call for us to pay attention, call for healing. Before talking about forgiving others, we often need to begin with understanding our own capacity to cause suffering. We often need to start with the foundation of forgiving ourselves. Accepting and holding our mistakes and imperfections with love and kindness. We've all done things that cause us regret, remorse, things that we flinch when we remember. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt others. We've caused pain. There are periods of practice when these kinds of memories may be particularly strong in the mind. 
I remember one such period during my first three-month course at, down at IMS. It seemed like it went on for weeks. I just kept remembering over and over all the little ways I had perhaps broken the precepts or caused others suffering. And I'm not talking about huge things, but the little things even come up. I remember that I had been, I was, I was uh, pretty young at that time, I was 24 years old, and I'd stayed at my father's house the um, summer before that retreat, and I borrowed some sheets to bring to IMS for my retreat without asking him. That came up. You know, it's not a huge crime, but yet it wasn't um, ethically pure. So these kinds of things will come up, even, you know, little things like that. And while it's a painful process when it's happening, it's actually a very useful part of our practice. It's a necessary part of our practice because it purifies our sila. It motivates us to practice. It's part of awakening the heart of bodhicitta, that aspiration to be awakened for all beings. A number of years later, I went through another um, retreat where I went through another period like that. And um, it, it, was, it was at a different level. It, it, it was more of um, kind of the existential dukkha of the fact that as long as we're human, we're going to cause suffering. As long as we're human and not fully enlightened. I'm not sure about the fully enlightened part. I, perhaps we don't cause others suffering anymore. But until we're fully enlightened, we pretty surely do. And, um, you know, in this retreat, kind of accepting the reality of that, which is a rather sobering truth. And afterwards, I wrote a poem, which I'm going to share with you. Um, I want to make it clear that I haven't done absolutely horrible, horrible things in my life, just uh, kind of your regular (laughs) human life. So when you hear the poem, don't um, jump to any conclusions. The poem is called Wreckage. I look behind and see wreckage strewn in the street, in the trees. A tornado has howled through over and over again. Winds of desire, winds of aversion, winds of ignorance. I have torn through eons, whirled through lifetimes, and I have left in my wake shattered houses and barefoot children wailing in the street. I vow to stay on this path of awakening, if for no other reason than to save those blown about by my winds of destruction. When we can open to the suffering that we cause others, we can see that our commitment to the path can strengthen. Our compassion can strengthen and our commitment to purifying the roots that cause suffering, the greed, the aversion, the ignorance, can become stronger. Sometimes it's not that easy, though. Sometimes when we go through these periods where we remember the harm that we've caused, we may judge ourselves or become aware of shame or find um, that we attack ourselves with self-hatred. 
So the challenge is to allow this process of purification, which may include this um, review of how we've caused suffering, to allow this and to forgive ourselves. To understand that this is part of being human, that we are human, and it's part of the karma of being human. And can we forgive ourselves for not being faster, for being a slow turtle like us humans tend to be? We do tend to seem to learn slowly. It seems to be part of the human karma. For most of us, it requires boatloads of patience. Strongly conditioned patterns, for most people, change slowly. We very often have unrealistic expectations of how easily we should be able to change and then beat ourselves up when we don't live up to them. One teacher called this practice, uh, the process of this practice, insult after insult. Can we hold this, these truths with gentleness? Who do you know who hasn't caused pain? We look with deep care to see that we have done the best that we could given all of our conditioning up to these moments. So we include our own humanity in a compassionate awareness. Suzuki Roshi has a line that um, I think kind of, for me, epitomizes the right balance here when we notice the harm we've caused, he says, he was talking to a group full of um, yogis, and he said, you are perfect just as you are, and you have some work to do. So there's that deep acceptance that we really are okay as we are, and there's the understanding that, um, that we have some work to do, that there that that we have some um, purification needed. As I said, when we see the suffering that we've caused, we can feel motivated to practice. And it's beautiful to honor that commitment that we've all made. You've all made it. You're all here. And we can really honor that commitment that we've made to change our heart. I don't know if change is the exact word I want there. The commitment we've made to allow our hearts to grow. In the Tibetan tradition, there's something called the Four Strengths, and I um, couldn't find the papers that, as I might be not exactly quite right about what they are, but they're they're along these lines. It's talking about um, how to work with past mistakes and moving on. And it said, first of all, we recognize the mistake. 
that we've made, the unskillful behavior we've done. Second, we acknowledge remorse for it. Third, we make amends if we can. And fourth, we make a commitment to not repeat the mistake and to set up conditions so that we don't repeat the mistake or that most support us not to um, repeat the mistake. Like, for example, if you tend to overeat on cookies, setting up the condition would be not buying cookies to bring to your house. I mean, that's an example. (laughs) And then it's like said that, you know, if we do these things, we're doing the best we can. Recognize, feel remorse, make amends, and make a commitment. And even if we make a commitment, it's not saying we won't make another mistake. You might buy those cookies (laughs) and bring them home. And again, then we go through the process again. But really understanding that we've done then the best that we can. The other um, great thing about noticing the pain that we've caused others or the suffering we cause ourselves or others is that it can help us to feel humility. And then we're more able to extend forgiveness and understanding to others. There's a beautiful poem by Thich Nhat Hanh that um, most of you have probably heard. It's, it's one of my favorites, so I'll read it anyway. Um, And it describes this process of understanding our shared humanity with others and how that um, opens the door of compassion. It's called, Please Call Me By My True Names. Do not say that I'll depart tomorrow because even today I still arrive. Look deeply. I arrive in every second to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird whose wings are still fragile, learning to sing in my new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, in order to fear and to hope, The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that are alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river, and I am the bird which, when spring comes, arrives in time to eat the mayflower. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond, and I am also the grass snake who approaching in silence, feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks, and I am the arms merchant, selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 12-year-old girl, refugee on a small boat, who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate, and I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands, 
and I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people, dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom. My pain is like a river of tears, so full it fills up the four oceans. Please call me by my true names, so I can hear all my cries and my laughs at once, so I can see that my joy and pain are but one. Please call me by my true names, so I can wake up, and so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion. So this journey, though painful, is also joyful because it opens our hearts. It can soften us and guide us to forgiveness and kindness. That understanding that we have the capacity to be even those whom we judge helps us to be compassionate. Once Mother Teresa was asked why she dedicated her life to the poor of Calcutta, and she replied, because I realized I had a Hitler in me. And I liked that answer because she didn't make herself separate. And it opened the door of compassion in her heart. As we explore our capacity to cause suffering, we understand how one comes to act in unskillful ways, how we can all get caught in the mindless grip of unwholesome mind states. We only have to sit and watch our mind for an hour to see what it can get up to (laughs) in mindless moments. It does develop a little bit of humility So as our understanding deepens, we find that our judgment of others lessens. We understand our shared humanity with those who cause suffering and who have caused us suffering. The deepest forgiveness comes out of our understanding of our own and of others' suffering. We begin to see that all suffering comes from ignorance. It comes from not understanding deeply what leads to happiness and what leads to suffering. So when we inflict pain, the roots are in ignorance and not seeing. When we've developed this sense of shared humanity, we can replace blame with understanding. We finally forgive when understanding is so deep that we can ask who is there to blame, who is there to forgive. We understand suffering and ignorance, karma, and the perpetuation of suffering.
Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? A sobering truth, perhaps, but it's a place that we can rest because it's true. So the Buddha gave some concrete uh, and very practical suggestions for working with resentment. And I'm going to share some of them with you. The first suggestion is to do metta for this person. Consciously cultivate goodwill. Wish them well. And we find that this is a practice. When we do the metta practice, we often start out with easy people and then eventually do metta for a difficult person because it is a practice. It's not so easy to wish well to somebody that we're angry at. But we can try and see what happens. Another suggestion he gave for working with resentment is to really see how we suffer from the resentment, not the person who we're angry at. I think it's one of the most um, fascinating delusions that we share as humans is when we're angry at somebody, we think we're making them suffer. (laughs) It's pretty funny when you think about it because they're not suffering. We are. We're the ones whose hearts are burning. The Buddha said, By allowing anger to arise, I am like the one who wants to hit another and picks up a burning ember or excrement, and by so doing, either burn or soil myself. Another suggestion, remember the good in the person. I find this one quite useful. For example, I'm, I like to ski. I'm a, a cross-country skier. And uh, it's been a good year for that so far. And um, I share the state forest with snowmobilers. And they have kind of different ideas of how to um, enjoy the outdoors that conflict a little bit with my ideas, which I kind of like, you know, quiet and, and all. And so I practice when the snowmobilers come by. Sometimes I just want to, I mean, to be honest with you, sometimes I kind of want to give them a look, you know, tell them not to go through my forest. But I really work with it as a practice, and uh, sometimes I have some success in really looking for the good in them. Like sometimes they'll take their kids along. It's very sweet, you know. They'll have their kids on the snowmobile with them, and they're getting them outdoors. It's great. And then... Um, the fact that they use the state forest is also helpful in just conserving the state forest as a state forest. Sometimes they even um, clear the trail after a deep snow. It's too deep, you know, it's a lot of work skiing, so they'll come through first and they'll clear the trail. So um, when we do this, when we remember the good in those who we may find difficult, we can find that some softening occurs. 
Another way to work with resentment from the Buddha, having compassion for the person by understanding that they will receive the fruits of their actions. So understanding karma. Not understanding karma as some kind of punishment as they'll get what they deserve. Not exactly that kind of understanding, but more um, compassion for them to uh, knowing that because of karma, if we put out suffering, suffering is going to come back to us. There's a story from Deepama that I um, like a lot. Deepama is uh, or was an Indian um, woman quite realized in our tradition, known for the strong sense of love that she emanated. So this is a story from um, Amita Schmidt's book about Deepama. And this little piece was contributed by Stephen Schwartz, one of the early people uh, here at IMS. I believe he was one of the first group. He says, For a couple of years, it seemed that whenever I went to New York, my car would get broken into and my radio ripped off. I'd been invited to a friend's wedding in Queens. I told Deepama that I was thinking of taking the train because my radio always gets stolen. Don't be silly, she said. Go by car. So we ended up taking the car, which by that time had a security system installed on it. We parked the car and went to the wedding. When we came out, sure enough, my car had been broken into yet again. This time they took not only the radio, but all my tapes, too. When we got back, I walked into the house and Deepama asked, How was the wedding? The wedding was great, I said, but my car got broken into again and the radio was stolen. I'm really upset. Deepama just burst out laughing. What's so funny? You must have been a thief in your formal lifetime. How many more times do you think you will need to have your radio stolen? You tell me, I demanded. How many more times? Tell me so I can be prepared. Ignoring my question, she asked, What did you do? What was your reaction when your car was broken into? I was really angry because it's happened so many times, and I thought I had a security system. She looked at me in amazement. You mean you didn't even think about the man who took your radio, how sad his life must be? She closed her eyes and started chanting quietly to herself, and I knew she was saying metta for the thief. It was a wonderful lesson for me. So her spontaneous reaction was one of um, compassion for the thief, understanding that if he's causing suffering, it must be because he's living suffering. So all of these ideas would, are meant to bring in a little more flexibility in the mind and heart with the person that we're angry with. Resentment can get very hard and set. And anything that loosens it in any way is helpful. Another suggestion that the Buddha gave was to give 
the difficult person a gift. I've tried this. It works quite well, actually. (laughs) A gift connects us. We feel a connection to others when we give them something. Sometimes a gift may just be something like a compliment. Another um, way we work with forgiveness is that we actually have a conscious practice of forgiveness with phrases. For any way that I have caused harm to another, knowingly or unknowingly, in thought, word, or deed, I ask forgiveness. For any way that I have been harmed by another, knowingly or unknowingly, in thought, word, or deed, I offer forgiveness. For any way that I have caused harm to myself, knowingly or unknowingly, in thought, word, or deed, I forgive myself. Sometimes we'll say these um, phrases at the end of a retreat or at the beginning of metta sitting. Just a way to help clear the air and to establish the intention to forgive. Even the intention is such a wholesome quality, the intention to forgive. I have a few more ideas. These aren't specifically from the Buddha. They're more um, ideas that I have. One way uh, I have found useful to um, work with resentment and uh, anger is to reflect how suffering comes from suffering. So this is a little bit like the story of the thief. I've used this reflection sometimes with my family of origin. I came from a family where there was a fair amount of suffering. And... um, One way that I know that I grew to have some understanding and forgiveness about the difficulties we had in my family was to really um, think about the suffering that my parents had received from from prior generations and how it gets passed on, and even sometimes you know understanding in a historical context, you know what was going on at the time that my parents were growing up and at the time that my parents were having me and my brothers and sisters. And this really um, can help open the heart of compassion. Henry Longfellow said, If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we would find in each man's life a sorrow and a suffering enough to disarm all hostility. Sometimes when we are angry or resentful, we might just see only a narrow slice of a life. But when we make a wider lens that really understands the context, we can have much more compassion.
Another way I've found um, that's been useful for me is to look at how I have caused suffering to the person who I'm angry with. This really works well with my partner. I will find, um, you know, that perhaps we're having, you know, disagreement and I may be angry at him for something and then it's really easy to really focus on him right and blame and all of that. And so I'll just ask the question, how did I contribute to this? It's really helpful. I can usually find that um, the story is much wider than the story when it's like uh, focused on the other person and what they've done to us. It's much more uh, light and understanding. Even with all of these techniques, sometimes they're just not enough. There are some pains that are deeply ingrained and worn over the years. Some pains that make touch what we sometimes call our karmic knots, the places where we're really um, wound tight. And at these times, forgiveness may be more of a process. It can't be forced. You can't slap forgiveness on top of resentment. The insecurity will show through. So in these cases, forgiveness can be arrived at through sincere inquiry and a willingness to feel our own pain and that of the offender. So if this is true, sometimes we have to just start with acknowledging the resentment And acknowledging the desire not to forgive. Acknowledging and feeling the closed heart that wants to stay defended. Sometimes allowing ourselves to acknowledge and feel that will actually motivate us to look deeper because it's painful. We see it's painful not to forgive when we really pay attention to that. But sometimes we may not get farther than the intention to forgive. That may be as far as the heart is willing to go. And as I said, even that is wholesome and powerful. It plants wholesome seeds for the future. But continuing to explore the process of forgiveness, then we can allow ourselves to open to the feelings that really are there maybe anger or hurt or sorrow, allowing ourselves to feel them mindfully on a visceral level. When these feelings are allowed the space, are allowed the space and held in awareness, they transform. It's like uh, the layers, like layers of an onion, right? They, you keep, they keep moving through the layers, and we find that eventually we get to a core of vulnerability and understanding. But I've found you can't skip the layers. Naomi Shahib Nye has a great poem with one line I love. She says, before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. 
Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. We have to allow that process to unfold. I have so much I want to share, but not enough time. I'll share this story. This is a story um, which, for me, kind of uh, shows the process that we that a process of forgiveness, and it's from um, Sylvia Bornstein's book. Pay attention, for goodness' sake. I think it's that one. She's telling about a story a yogi told her on retreat. He said. I was coming home through a neighborhood where I shouldn't have been walking alone late at night. Suddenly a man jumped out from behind a building, obviously very high on drugs, and he had a gun. He held the gun at my chest and said, I'm going to kill you. Give me what you have. Of course, I immediately gave him my wallet. But then he kept the gun at my chest, waving it back and forth. He kept saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. He seemed to be saying, I'm going to kill you, over and over in order to get up the nerve to do so. I was terrified. I said, wait, stop. I'll give you something that's very good. He stopped. I gave him my watch. And then he started all over again, menacing me. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I said, wait, stop. So I said, listen to me. You did very well. You did great. You have no idea how much money is in that wallet, and that watch is worth a lot. When you go home, your friends are going to be so proud of you. They're going to think you did a really wonderful job. Now go home. And the man turned around and left, (laughs) which is kind of a great story. It's not the end of the story, but it's kind of a a great, um, it's interesting what what worked with him, kind of an acknowledgement of how great, you know, some goodness in them, even though it's, you know, got its problems. So Brett continued his story. So what happened to me as I began to sit, he said, is the memory of the experience would come up in my mind and it would play through like a movie. I said, he said, I said. And I would shake terribly and feel as terrified as ever. Over and over the memory would come back and I would feel myself shaking And I would remember the meditation instructions and try to breathe and pay attention. I didn't try to do anything except feel how I felt. And after the whole story would finish playing itself out, I would relax and feel regular and sometimes think, maybe that's it. Maybe it's all finished. And then the story would start all over again and I'd feel frightened again. Then he said, two days ago it started to feel like a horror movie that I'd seen so many times that I knew where the bad parts were. I knew it would turn out okay, so the story would replay, and I didn't shake. I remembered the whole story, and I realized I had been terrified, but didn't feel terrified now. I felt much better. Sometimes it's almost like we have to bore ourselves with our stories. Yesterday, Brett continued, something new happened. The whole movie replayed in my mind, but I was relaxed, and suddenly I thought, 
That man who attacked me was doing what he was doing because he had the life that he had before that. And I was me because I had the life that I had. And if I had had his life, I would have been him doing what he was doing. And if he had had my life, he would have been me doing what I was doing. When I realized that, I forgave him. Then I felt much better. It's a nice story because it illustrates the process of forgiveness, of you know, allowing himself to feel what he needed to feel and allowing the understanding to come, as it will, as it does. Sometimes those feelings that we will feel in this process can be very intense. It's almost that we ha- it's almost like we have to be willing to be seared by the feelings sometimes in order to move towards forgiveness. Sometimes we have to be willing to feel a deep existential sorrow for how difficult this world can be. I know that sometimes the place that I have to work with anger and resentment, just one example in in my area where I live, it's a beautiful valley and a beautiful area, and there's a lot of development that happens. And so there's a lot of land that I would love to see preserved, and um, I I feel very deeply about environmental concerns and then somebody to make money will come along and, um, and destroy beautiful areas of woods. How do I work with that resentment? And sometimes the only thing I can do is allow myself to feel the deep sorrow of that truth that we live in this really imperfect world and a world where... Um, difficult things happen and sometimes if I can just rest in that sorrow and hold it with equanimity I can rest there now forgiveness doesn't mean that we condone behavior just to be clear the Dalai Lama said He was at Smith College last spring, and somebody asked him about forgiveness, and he said, if someone is doing something wrong, you must stop the deed. And then he said, you must do this out of compassion for them. We often think we must stop the deed out of a sense of justice. He's like, you must stop the deed out of compassion for them, not to let them keep accumulating bad karma for themselves. Sometimes with people who have caused us harm, we may still choose to protect ourselves. We may forgive them and still choose to protect ourselves. Annie Lamott says, forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant to hit back. You're done. It doesn't necessarily mean you want to have lunch with the person. If we forgive... If forgiveness comes to the heart, we can actually see the situation with greater greater clarity often. 
We can often make wiser choices about how to respond in situations that may be difficult. And yet we can make those decisions with our heart free of resentment, which is a huge gift to ourselves and to others. A heart of forgiveness is a heart that is at peace. I'd like to end with another poem by Thich Nhat Hanh. He wrote this poem, actually, I believe, in 1966. Um, you may know that at that time he was um, living in Vietnam, where uh, he was born, and where there was a war going on. And... Um, He was doing a lot of social work at that time, trying to help um, those caught in the conflict and the war. He says, so, so there was probably plenty of chance for um, anger and resentment to arise. <laughs> He says, it's called recommendation. Promise me, promise me this day, promise me now, while the sun is just overhead. Even as they strike you down with a mountain of hatred and violence, remember, brother, man is not our enemy. The only thing worthy of you is compassion, invincible, limitless, unconditional. Hatred will never let you face the beast in man. One day, when you face this beast alone, with your courage intact, your eyes kind, untroubled, out of your smile will bloom a flower. Alone again, I will go on with bent head, but knowing the immortality of love. And on the long, rough road, both sun and the moon will shine, lighting my way. sit for a
So we'll end our evening with uh, the sharing of blessings. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent, or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth, may I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble guide. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.